Hey there, welcome to the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. I'm your host, Ben Shank. You're listening to Mountain Meister. The guest on today's episode has ridden his bike 46,000 miles around the entire globe. He's rode the Atlantic Ocean and walked across India. But it's the smaller adventures which have had the biggest impact. His name's Alistair Humphreys. He's created a concept called Micro Adventures. It encourages you to get outside, get outside of your comfort zone, and get to somewhere you've never been before. This episode was originally released in July of 2015, but it's been one of our most popular ones, so we're throwing it back today. Last episode, we spoke with Adam Kimball, who's running across the entire country. Good news, he's done with his first day. He made it all the way to Riverside, California, covered about 55 miles. You can follow along. The links to his social media are on our website. Now, here's Micro Adventures with Alistair Humphreys. I have an English accent, yes. Yeah, so I'm uh, calling you from my shed near London. Um, yeah, I'm a proper Englishman. I'm a big fan of the US, but I don't get over there as much as I'd like to. Okay, yeah. So you said shed there. Is that just an English term for, for a house, or do you do you live in a shed? <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I work in a shed. I believe that that, that, that same word means the same thing okay, in, yeah. in both our languages. But <laughs> yes, I, w- I work in a shed. Uh-huh. <laughs> and did you have dreams of growing up to be an adventurer like you are today? I did not, no. I really had a very normal... Um, childhood of dreaming unrealistically about being a professional sportsman mm-hmm. and I only got interested in adventure really when I went to university and after university I started doing big adventures and it was only after a few years of that that I even contemplated becoming a professional adventurer. Oh interesting what was the first big adventure? The first big adventure was, um, I, I started at the top, it's been downhill ever since. The first, <laughs> first big one I did was spending the four years cycling around the world, um, which um, was the biggest journey I've ever done and undoubtedly is the biggest that I will ever do. Um, it was an amazing experience to set off on a trip when, before it was my job, uh, when I was just young, free, didn't have much cash, didn't have m- many commitments in my life and just the freedom to just go and cycle and just see how far I could get. Why did you do that? 46,000 miles and four four years, you said? Yeah, just over four years. I did it because I wanted to see the world and I was greedy, so I couldn't really just settle for seeing one little bit of the world because once you've cycled there, you might as well carry on until you get to the next place. (laughs) And I did it because I was really curious of pushing myself really hard I wanted to do something big and difficult and a bike is just the perfect way to travel because it's so simple Mm. Uh, you can fix it anywhere in the world it's fast so you can cover big distances but it's slow so you can uh, meet people along the way and chat to them and really get deep into the experience and importantly for a a young guy just out of university is cheap Uh, Mm. if you sleep in a tent and eat banana sandwiches then life is very cheap yeah yeah i think i heard in your ted talk you said seven thousand pounds is what it cost you over those four years yeah which is vaguely about ten thousand dollars right so that's just a lot of instant noodles and uh banana sandwiches right right um (laughs) 
That and also, I, I think you said that in order to be able to do this, all you need to know, like the tangible skills that you need to have, is to be able to ride a bike and to be able to sleep in a tent, and that's it. Yes, you, yes, to be able to sleep in a tent, you don't need to be able to put up a tent because uh, the the day I set off, I just bought the instructions for <laughs> with me for how to put up the tent. So. Um, yeah, you really don't need very much to do it. The only difficult thing is just persuading yourself to get out the door and, and go. Right, yeah. You also rode across the Atlantic Ocean? Yeah, that was later on, uh, once once this sort of stuff had become my job. And I do a lot of blogging. And through my blog, um, someone in Slovenia knew about me. And he, uh, a guy called Marin, he needed someone to come join him for his row uh, someone had had to drop out of their team so they they recruited me and so I essentially joined up with three total strangers jumped onto a rowing boat and set off across the Atlantic <laughs> that was a great idea right just go go into the middle of nowhere with three people you don't know <laughs> yes well it's a risk for me but also for them so I think both mm, all yeah. parties there are taking quite a risk um, but we all got on great we had a lot of fun um, and we had huge amounts of misery as well, um, but the fact that we were straight, we started as strangers, but ended up as friends. So, what do you learn for, about yourself on these big expeditions? Let's take the the bike trip for example. What did you learn about yourself? Gosh, I learned a lot of things about myself. Some of them positive, some of them less so. Hmm. Um, I learned that I'm not as tough as I thought I was. I found the experience and continue to find ad- adventures very difficult um, mentally more than physically. Uh, but I also learned that I was able to endure um, more than I thought I could. Dostoevsky saying that man can get used to anything if he's if he's got the will to do it. Mm. Um, and just getting used to that life on the road. And I suppose I also, the, the thing of doing journeys by myself, so that say the cycling trip, was that it's, it forces you to be in charge of yourself. Uh, you can't make excuses. You can't blame people. And you either succeed or you fail by yourself. And I found that exhausting and um, difficult, but also ultimately very rewarding. And that, that's very different to a journey like rowing across the Atlantic, say, with, with other people, which involves different skills of being able to... Um, offer and accept help and empathy and sharing and caring. So they're quite different experiences doing things by yourself or or with other people. Right. Yeah. We can't convince our listeners to, to bike around the entire world or row across the Atlantic. Uh, And recently uh, over the past few years, we've had this initiative called a micro adventure, which is great. The name's a little contradictory, at least it sounds like it at first, because normally we think of these adventures as these audacious big things that we've been talking about. So micro-adventure, tell us about it. You, you've hit the nail on the head there. It was, I chose the word deliberately because it's slightly uh-huh. contradictory. And I chose the word micro rather than small because I wanted to show that you can have really, really, really small adventures, and yet they still count as being adventurous. You don't need to spend four years cycling around the world to have an adventure. And if you don't have the time or the inclination to go and cycle around the world, then I believe it's better to go cycle for a weekend than to just do nothing at all. So that that was the premise of it, doing something so small that you can remove the barriers and 
the legitimate reasons and also the slightly wimpish excuses that a lot of us build up to to stop that get in the way of the adventures that we dream of having. Okay, so let's say I'm going on a micro adventure. What what do I need to do? What are like the the characteristics of a a good micro adventure for me? Going somewhere new, going somewhere wild, going somewhere different. Um simplifying life for a little while and then doing things that appeal to you so it might be doing something that's physically very difficult and challenging or it might involve not doing that it might involve just turning off your phone sitting watching the sunset and actually slowing down your hectic life for a little while and then the one thing that i think all micro adventures have is a night out under the stars um of course it's great to go for a day bike ride in the forest that's brilliant but a micro adventure i believe occurs once you've actually spent the night out as well spending a night out under the stars ideally not with a tent this is when you go home having had a much more transformative experience than just going out for a day's hiking or biking you've encouraged people to do this i like how you put this from their 5 to 9 so you have a typical workday of 9 to 5 what's the 5 to 9 when I began doing microadventures, I began by trying, my first idea was to try and show that you can do epic, big, difficult stuff in small, crowded, not very wild Britain. That was the starting point of it. Hmm. But I came to realize that most people don't have a week to disappear off to the mountains of Scotland and that most people are constrained more than that. And the thing that constrains people generally is the nine to five life. So I thought about how I could fit adventure into that constraint of life. And what I decided really was that instead of us complaining about the nine to five and seeing that as a negative constraint, a more positive adventurous mindset would be to flip that round and try and see what positive things remain, what opportunities remain. So look at it the other way. And instead of looking at the nine to five, look at the five to nine. When you leave work at five o'clock, you have freedom. Ish. I know people have things to do, but hypothetically, we're free until nine the next morning. 16 hours of freedom. What adventure can you go do in that time? Yeah, it's amazing. so I live essentially in Boston, like I'm in the city. And I, I think almost in every city in America, New York, it might be a little difficult, but you can get out of the city and maybe in a half hour reach like pretty good hiking or camping. Yeah, well, in using uh, London as my right, personal yeah. example of that, I worked out that if you're right in the very, very centre of London, that's the, the biggest city in the UK, no one is in a straight line, you're 15 miles from some sort of countryside. 15 miles in a city, of course, can take a long time. Right. Um, but roughly within an hour of your office, wherever you live, you can be out in the countryside. Um, and the difficult thing is to persuade people how easy it is to get from the middle of London, the middle of New York, out to a forest or a river or a hilltop. Mm. And I think that's the difficult thing, is persuading people to do it, to try it, and then to learn that actually it's not that difficult. Right. Well, Google Maps helps out with that now. Seriously. I mean, like you can find public transportation, ways to get out there, right? Yes, exactly. Um, Google Maps, looking around on uh, Google Maps, finding somewhere green and empty and, <laughs> I like that. and then working out the train, the nearest train to get to there. And instantly you've made a plan. <laughs> Very good. And then what about the people who say, oh my God, I can't like wake up at 
whatever time in the morning and go to work all like dirty. Well, then you should jump in a river. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping in a river is good for the soul. What my answer to this though is yes, if you go if you go camp out for the night and then go into the office the next day, you you will be more tired than if you'd slept in a nice hotel or in your own bed. Um you might be a little bit disheveled. Um a lot of offices have showers in them these days. See, but you might be a bit disheveled. However, no one is going to die from being a little bit disheveled from one night and or a little bit tired. And I think mentally, the uh, the mental energizing you feel from this uh, definitely outweigh that. I'm like envisioning myself doing this, which I, I will. I, I want to get some friends to go on it with me. I think that would be like my style. So when your friends say no way, how do you convince them to do this? I think there, well, there are two categories of people here. There are the type of people who just think this is a stupid idea and um, really it's just not for them at all. And they, t- they will take quite a bit of persuading. But there's also a lot of people who quite like the idea but slightly worry about the, the practicalities, mm-hmm. the, the hassle factor. And those people I have to try and persuade just by trying to encourage them to do it once. Okay. One, one summer's evening when the nights are long and the weather is good and it's, and if you, if you can't go and do it in those times, then it's going to be more difficult to persuade people. So it's, it's trying to work out what it is that's stopping them. What are they scared of? What don't, what is the hassle? What's the complications and finding a way to work around those, those limitations. Right. Right. Yeah. I like that. And even if somebody didn't want to go to work dirty, you could wake up with the sunrise, get back to your apartment or your house, probably get showered and get to work on time. Yeah, true. Um, There's also the wildly controversial option of going one day without having a shower. (laughs) Whoa, (laughs) that's out of the question. Which which um, perhaps, perhaps I have hygiene issues, but it amazes me how much this idea freaks people out. Given that great royal kings of England, like Henry VIII, had one, one bath every single year, mm-hmm. I think we can probably manage uh, one day with just a little cheeky squirt of deodorant under the arms as we sneak into work. That's a, a very good point. <laughs> do, you, do you have a favorite micro-adventure that you've done? Oh, gosh. Um, I think well, I, I like them the variety of them, but one I really enjoyed is a good example with what we've been talking to about, which was um, last summer, I have a various group of friends and we all live in different places spread over the south of England, spread over an area probably about three hours drive from each other, which means that ordinarily you would never see each other on a weekday evening. So we found a central hill in, in the middle of where we all lived and everyone just decided to meet there for sunset one evening after work. And so we traveled for an hour, an hour and a half each, uh, climbed up this hill. About 15 of us arrived on top of a hill for sunset, had some food, had a couple of drinks, slept under the stars, went back down the hill in the morning and everyone went off their own way back to their own lives and jobs. And I loved that to be able to socialize with friends from a different place on an evening just to make something like that happen. And it just showed how simple it was. That's cool. And the hill probably wasn't anything aggressive as far as like the physical output, right? No. Yeah. Well, this is, we're talking about England here, which right. is one of the, I think England 
England used to really frustrate me as a place for to live as an adventurer, but it's actually a perfect place to live as someone trying to evangelize about micro adventures because all our hills are so small and weedy and feeble that you know if you can do these sort of things here and find them exciting, then every other country in the world is going to trump that. So you said that people find ways to make excuses. Uh, I made a list of excuses, and I want you to address each one, Alistair. Uh, the first one is, I don't have the time. Um, I think, well, firstly, I acknowledge that people are really busy. Um, however, I think it's worth saying, rephrasing things in this way. Whenever you work out what it is that's stopping you, instead of saying, I don't have time, just try saying... I choose not to make the time for this. And I think that just helps you work out in your head whether you genuinely don't have the time or whether actually you're just choosing not to spend your time on doing this. And also, I, this is not something I'm saying that people should be doing every single day. I'm saying this is something to make time for just once on one dry, warm summer's evening to make time for that. And if you still believe you don't have time to do that, then I think you are someone who definitely needs to make the time to be able to do it. If you're so busy that you can't spend one evening in the summer sleeping out on a hill with your friends, then you really need to chill out and sort your life out. Right. How about somebody who says, you know, I just don't have the the right kind of supplies for this? Um, Assuming that we're just starting simple with a warm, dry summer's evening out on a hill, you can get by with just a sleeping bag. Uh, some warm clothes, a woolly hat, a torch, some food and drink, and that's really all you need. Um, if you throw in a, uh, a bivy bag and a camping mat, they might be two things that you don't own that you might have to buy, but they're they're cheap as well. So I think that these things are achievable for most people. I think most people own a rucksack and a sleeping bag. Yeah. Um, and if they don't, then these are not massively expensive things to to to, to get hold of. And now, how about those with kids? Children, if you say to your children, would you like to go and sleep on a hill and then have a swim in a river, they will say yes. The problem is not the children. The problem is the adults. Uh, we get old and boring, and that is that is the problem, I think. So I don't think we need to worry about the kids. Um, sure, very small kids get more complicated with baby stuff and baby food and things, but if we're thinking, I don't know, four-year-olds mm-hmm. upwards, then really just go try this with your kids. They will love it. I like what you said there. The problem isn't the kid, it's the adult. <laughs> uh, good answers to those excuses. I'll have to utilize those. And some of those things are they're unavoidable in life. I'm not, I'm not in a position to solve everyone's time and money issues in life. So I'm not trying to do that. What I'm trying to do is say, these are the constraints that you, we have on our lives Let's stop moaning about those and work out what adventure can fit around the rest of it. Okay, so how about gear? What's one piece of gear that would improve the micro-adventure experience? I think the piece of gear that epitomizes the idea of a micro-adventure, as in something that is simple, cheap, uncomplicated, fun, and a little bit silly 
all of those things are perfectly encapsulated by the idea of a bivy bag. And in case you don't know what a bivy bag is, it's an alternative to a tent. It's essentially a waterproof, it's a waterproof jacket material, but it looks like a sleeping bag. So it's like a waterproof sleeping bag cover. You put your sleeping bag in there and sleep out under the stars and you feel so much more outdoors than when you're cooped up in a tent. A tent is basically a really rubbish version of your own house. It's like a small, cramped, uncomfortable version of home. It's a bit pointless. So if you want to be outside, then get in a bivy bag and you can actually see the stars, shooting stars, satellites. You can, when the sun rises in the morning, you just sit up and there it is right in front of you. It's brilliant. That's neat. Alistair, who would you like to hear next on the show? We've, we've had some people recommend you. Some listeners uh, have reached out and said they want to hear you on the show. Who do you want to hear? Well, about a week or two ago, I went for my first ever stand-up paddleboarding experience with a, a adventurer friend of mine called Dave Cornthwaite, and he uh, mocked my terrible paddleboarding thing. So, uh, but he's a very nice guy, uh, and he's done some great things, and he's got a really good ethos, which fits quite well with this about the idea of saying yes more. So, I'd suggest you try for Dave Cornthwaite. Say yes more. I like that. Did you say that that was your first time paddleboarding? It is, yes. I've never done it before um, and I enjoyed it. It was harder than I thought it was going to be, um, but I definitely enjoyed it. It's it's so cool to hear that that was the first time you did that. Uh, (laughs) Because when I I host these incredible people on the show, and I think, I, I know I do, I just automatically assume that you know how to do everything. And so to hear that you just had your first time stand-up paddleboarding the other day and you were terrible at it, it's just so nice to hear. (laughs) I think what's true, I think there are two categories of adventurers. There are the people like Roman Dial, who you've had Mm -hmm. before, who are athletes and highly competent and very impressive people. And we can... we can enjoy them vicariously. And then there's a huge range of adventurers who are very normal people who started doing adventures, perhaps because we, and I include myself in this, started doing adventures because we were a bit rubbish at real life and we wanted to try and test ourselves and prove ourselves. And I think you'd be really surprised at just how normal and incompetent a lot of (laughs) full-time adventurers are. That's cool. Very well put. Um, For the listeners, you can check out more Alistair Humphreys, A-L-A-S-T-A-I-R Humphreys.com. Also, use the hashtag microadventure or go look at the hashtag on microadventure on Twitter and see all of the great things that people are doing out there in this movement. It's also on Instagram, Facebook. Before we let you go, any final thoughts, Alistair? Um, Cycling around the world sounds like a really difficult thing to do but what I learned from it is that really the hard part of it was beginning it it was having the nerve being brave enough being organized enough to get on my bike wave goodbye to my normal life and pedal off down the street that was the only hard thing after that everything was easy and that above all else is why I'm a big fan of micro adventures because getting started in whatever it is you're trying to do is the the hardest part of any journey I think Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. That was the micro-adventure man, Alistair Humphreys. More on his Meister profile page on our website, mtnmeister.com. Just search Alistair 
or Humphreys or Micro Adventures, you'll find them. Don't forget that you can get $100 off with the code MEISTER100. Just sign up for a Summit for Someone Climb, $100 off with that code. And also the first person to sign up gets a Kestrel 48-liter backpack from Osprey. The thing is sweet. Feel free to shoot me an email, Ben, at mtnmeister.com. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, fears, frustrations, anxieties, got that one from my 7th grade social studies teacher, Mr. Porter. Mr. Porter, if you're out there, thank you. As usual, enjoy doing the rest of whatever else you do while you listen to the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. Till next time, I'm your host, Ben Shank, and you've been listening to Mountain Meister. Thank you.